If you have your Bible tonight, turn with me to Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 15. Matthew 12, beginning in verse 15. But Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. And many followed him, and he healed them all, and warned them not to make him known in order that what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled. Well, the omniscience. You remember omniscience? That's when you know everything. The omniscience of Jesus was aware that the Pharisees were out to kill him. He knew that. Therefore, it says he withdrew from the place. Jesus had not come into his own uh, will, but his father's. The reason he came is because that's what God wanted him to do. And so that's exactly what he did. It was not yet the father's time for Jesus to die for his ministry to end. So what happened is that Jesus, uh, of his own choice, of his own volition, he just uh, moves out of that area. When the time came, Jesus accepted his arrest, the trial, the conviction, and the crucifixion. He didn't lift one hand against any of those that did all those things to him. They beat him, they spat upon him, they pressed a crown of thorns in his head, all of, the, all of those things that we're very well familiar with. He accepted all of that, although at any time, he could have said, all right, every one of those guys' heads falls off. And that would have happened. You know, whatever, he was not only omniscient, he was also omnipotent. He had all power. He could, if he wanted to, have defended himself. I've mentioned this a number of times. You remember Kate Smith? You remember her singing, uh, He Could Have Called 10,000 Angels? I love that song. When I was a little kid, I'd always want to hear her sing that she could really belt it out. She was great. Well, he could have. He didn't have to die. Uh, he could have called uh, a defense to come, or he could have said, okay, every one of these uh, Pharisees blows up right now, and, uh, and they w- that would have happened. He was omnipotent. He had all power. Uh, he didn't do it. He didn't do that. He did not uh, save himself. And he did not destroy those who were bent on destroying him. Jesus' ministry was a continual cycle. And he would do this in every little town. He would go to a town. He would go in there and uh, the disciples, they would kind of set up, perhaps by well, we don't know. But he would set up in a little town and he would preach for a while and then he would teach for a while and then he would heal for a while. And he healed all kinds of things. Nobody came up to him with some weird thing that he couldn't heal. If he didn't know uh, what it was, then he would just say, be healed. And they would be healed of everything. He had that kind of power. He had the messianic power uh, to do whatever he wanted to do. Well, after he would do that, uh, of course... He would be accepted by some. They would think he was the greatest guy that ever lived. They would thank him and bow down to him because he had healed them. 
It was just wonderful, just unbelievably wonderful. But even then, in those small towns across Israel, uh, he found folks that objected to what he was doing. Some were saying he's doing that by the power of Satan. That's not God's power, that's Satan's power. Of course, that was a lie. Uh, Some resented what he did because it was just the opposite of what the scribes and Pharisees had been teaching them. And of course, the scribes and Pharisees hated him and were plotting, even at this point, how uh, they could have him killed. As his ministry progressed, the cycles became shorter because opposition came more quickly. As soon as he would set up in some little town and start uh, uh, preaching and teaching and healing, uh, the folks that were against him began to follow him around, and they would mass against him early on in his ministry there. Yet Jesus never uh, was forced away from a place. Uh, He always, the scripture says, withdrew because of his own choice. And the reason was, is that it was not time in God's plan for him to die or to cease his ministry. There was a thing called the Messianic secret. Jesus told a lot of people, and I don't say anything about this. Some of them kept the secret. Some of them blabbed all over everywhere. And, of course, that got him in uh, trouble. But that's what happened. Uh, If uh, he had been willing to use his power uh, for that purpose... Uh, He could have continued at any place for any length of time, and nobody could have stopped him. Even the crack Roman soldiers, they were the best armed forces in the world at that time. And uh, even those crack troops of Rome could not have hindered him if he had wanted to continue. But the father's plan was not to shed Roman blood. It was to shed Jesus' blood. That was the plan of the Father. Because the only way his son's bloods could atone for the sins of mankind and open the way to heaven was for him to die. And that's exactly what he did. Jesus had the heart of a servant. You know, there's a few people in our church that have a heart of a servant. And I bet uh, a lot of you know who those people are. They just go around serving. They don't make a big deal about it. Sometimes they're in the back room. Sometimes they're out back carrying the trash out. Sometimes they're just uh, going from table to table, fixing, helping, ministering, whatever they can do. They have the heart of a servant. There's a number of people in this service tonight that have that kind of a heart. That's their spiritual gift. They have the heart of a servant. Jesus uh, had that. Uh, He was submissive to the Father. He didn't argue with the Father. He was wholly given to redeeming the lost. And the way he did that, of course, was to draw a crowd by his uh, healing and preach and teach them about the ways of righteousness. The great Sermon on the Mount, as you know, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, was uh, kind of a a honed-down gospel message. And I'm sure that he taught those same principles everywhere he went. 
Although he existed in the form of God, he did not require equality with God. He knew that he could be that, but he chose not to be that. He rather emptied himself. Instead of gaining more power and demonstrating more power, he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, the lowest person in society. And then he was made into the likeness of men, as you know. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, as Philippians 2, 6 through 8 says. He humbled himself. He had a total servant heart. And that's what he demonstrated among the people. And they didn't really understand that while he was ministering during those three and a half years. But the disciples later figured it out. And they began to write about it. They began to talk about it. They began to preach about it. They understood in retrospect. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could understand all the things uh, in current time? But none of us have that ability, do we? We sometimes say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing. We just get uh, out of whack with uh, having a servant heart. After Jesus left the synagogue, our verse tonight says, Many followed him, and he healed them all. Pontos is the word. He healed them all, every one of them. He didn't skip over this one. He didn't say, well, gosh, that looks nasty. I'm going to leave that alone. He didn't do that. You know, if somebody came up with a broken arm, he touched it and healed it. If somebody came up and they were blind, he touched it and they were healed. If somebody came up with uh, cancer, I'm sure, he touched them and healed it. Whatever it was, he just healed it. And many people, the scripture says, many people followed them. He also healed people that did not believe. You know, wouldn't you think that everybody would have believed after they had been healed? I, I, I can't understand that. You know, if you had some horrible thing and Jesus touched you and it was healed, I'd believe. But the uh, scripture says that he healed uh, some that did not believe. Jesus' miracles of healing demonstrated his divine power, but they also demonstrated his divine compassion and love for the common man, for suffering people, for the down and out. He healed in order to reveal the loving heart of God. Now, here's the terrible thing. The religious leaders, the scribes, and the Pharisees, they were supposed to be the shepherds of the people. They were supposed to be the ones that really cared. They were supposed to be the ones that were compassionate and loving and caring and all of that. That isn't what they were. The religious leaders were interested in the rich people, in the influential people, not the sick, not the poor, not the outcast. Jesus, on the other hand, always had time for everybody. It didn't matter who they were, what they were about. He had time for them. Those that were suffering, those that were in need, he met their need. The scripture says that Jesus looked out over the multitudes. 
and he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. They didn't have a shepherd. The scribes and the Pharisees weren't doing their job. They did not have a servant's heart. They had an evil heart. And, of course, that comes out more and more and more through the ministry of our Lord. Not only were they oppressed by the Romans, but by their own religious leaders. Those who should have been shepherds, those leaders were wolves that were dressed like shepherds. They were wolves, ravenous wolves. But when the true shepherd came to Israel, he had great compassion for all the folks, the suffering people, He lovingly healed every kind of disease and affliction. Everyone. Christ feels the pain and hurt that we have today. You say, well, I don't know how he can keep up with all the hurt and pain of everybody. Well, he can. He can. He knows your hurt and your pain tonight. I've read... uh, all kinds of statistics on this. I think I mentioned that I was a counseling major in school. Many, many studies say that half of the things that are wrong with people are just in their mind. Did you know that? Half the things. So if you've got four things wrong with you, (laughs) you're just making up two of those. So you ought to kind of drop those off somewhere. Those are not real. Christ feels our pain, our hurts, the weight of the burdens that grind us down. Do you ever felt like you were being grinded, ground down? Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like things were just oppressing you? It was like somebody had a big thing on your head and was pressing you down. Have you ever felt that way? You know, I think we all get into that sort of a thing. We all have that kind of issue in our life upon occasion. And that's when we need to turn our eyes and our heart heavenward and talk to the Lord about it. Present our cares and our trials and our tribulations to him. And he hears, he responds with his love. I hope that uh, we can all sense the loving kindness of our Lord every day. That we can realize every day that that's the Lord with his hand upon us. That he's guiding us, directing us, helping us, ministering to us all along the way. Well, uh, the miracles were evident of his uh, divine gave evidence of his divine power and his rightful claim to Messiahship. He did not perform them to become famous or to run for political office. He didn't uh, perform them to build a base of power or of prestige or of influence, anything like that. That wasn't his purpose. That isn't what he was doing. As many of his followers expected him to do that. He didn't do it. He never did it. 
You know, the interesting thing was it says that he withdrew from there. If the crowds got too big, he withdrew from there. He didn't want earthly power. He didn't need earthly power. He had spiritual power. He was omnipotent in his power. He could do anything he wanted to do at any given time. And he chose to do what? To be a servant. To help people. Now you know there's got to be a message there for each of us. I've been in the ministry for a long, long time. And I've known some people that uh, from the very first day of ministry, they were trying to kind of climb the ladder. The ecclesiastical ladder. Where's Ross? Ross, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. Ed, you know what I'm talking about? Yep, yep, yep. Jim? No idea. idea. (laughs) I'm going to quit calling on him. He always has the best answer. <laughs> you know, so many folks are, are really interested in, in moving up. You know, that's, that's, their, that's what their whole life is about, moving up. It's not about being a servant. It's not about caring, loving, healing. It's not about that. It's about moving up. Jesus uh, wasn't into that. Uh, although he had great compassion for all of the physical afflictions that he saw, his primary ministry was not to bodies, but to souls. You know, he wanted to heal souls and change souls. He wanted people to become believers. He wanted people to become servants like him. He wanted people to follow the Lord every day, all day. That's what he wanted. Jesus' miracles also serve to further incite the rage of the scribes and the Pharisees. The more healing he did, the matter they got. If his, friend, if his fame had spread too quickly, then, of course, his ministry would have ended uh, prematurely. Because there would be a, a fatal uh, coming of the troops, the soldiers, uh, the legalists, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes. Everybody would have turned against him. Matthew assures his readers that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. Just as foretold by Isaiah the prophet. Now, right here in my hand, I have a list of about 80 prophecies that were made in the Old Testament. Now, remember, there's a 400-year period, interbiblical period, where uh, the word of God was not spoken. No, no prophet got up and said, thus saith the Lord. It was, it was 400 years where nobody heard the word of the Lord. So between these prophecies and all of these scriptures that talk about the fulfillment, there was a long period of time. And they were fulfilled to the letter. And I've got all the verses. If you'd uh, like a copy of this, I'll be glad 
to give it to you. Jesus did not come to fulfill the confused and the unscriptural expectations of people, but to fulfill his mission. God gave him a mission, and he wanted to do that. He wanted to fulfill all of the prophecies of the Old Testament. You know, the Lord wanted him to do that because that would kind of tie it all up together. And that would be something that would last forever. We have a man in our church named Lynn Winter. Lynn is not here. I'm looking around. He's not here tonight. Uh, Lynn uh, grew up Jewish. And somebody gave him a list like this. And he sat down and studied it. And he became a believer. It's just overpowering. You know, all of these passages came true uh, to the letter. Every one of them, every single one of them. Over 400 years in between the prophecy and the fulfillment. Well, he was determined that every divine prediction about him might be fulfilled. You see that in our text tonight? Now that is a great witnessing tool. You know, there are some very, very obvious witnessing tools that we can use. You know, here were the disciples, 12 men that were scared to death. They turned around and became warriors for God right in the marketplace. They didn't care. I mean, they were totally changed. Here's all of these prophecies that were fulfilled to the letter. Here are all the post Resurrection appearances. Now, if you just take those three things, you can have a powerful witness. Some people say, well, I I don't know how to witness. Show them this list. Show them the resurrection appearances by our Lord. Show them the change in the disciples from being scaredy cats in the upper room to being warriors for Christ. And all of them except John were martyrs. For the Lord Jesus. I mean there's three tools that anybody can use. To give a great witness for our risen Savior. Now do you have your Bible open? I hope you do. Uh, Look at uh, Matthew 12 beginning at verse 18. That's right after our uh, text for tonight. Look at verse 18. I want you to take just a minute and read... Matthew 12, 18 through 21. Now, there's, there's a Bible there in the pew in front of you if you don't have one. Just reach up and get it and uh, read that. Matthew 12, 18 through 21. Okay, I'm going to wait a minute. I want everybody to finish reading that. Have you got it? Anybody not through? I don't see anybody's hand. Okay. Now, I want you to look up on the screen. This is Isaiah's prophecy. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him and he will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. Here's a prophecy. Here is a quotation from Isaiah the prophet, Isaiah 42, 1 through 4. 
one of the most strikingly beautiful descriptions of Jesus in the Bible. Here we see that Jesus was commended by the Father. Commended by the Father. And commissioned by the Holy Spirit that he communicated his Father's message and that he was committed to weakness and to comforting the weak and that he would consummate the victory over sin and over Satan. Maybe you didn't finish reading this. He will not cry out nor raise his voice nor cause his voice to be heard in the street when they came after him. A bruised reed will not break and smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. And then four, he will not fail nor be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands shall wait for his law. That's talking about Jesus. In Isaiah 42, 1 through 4. And we see that fulfilled in our very uh, text uh, tonight. Well, I hope that uh, we can make a difference where we live. I hope that you can make a difference with your uh, neighbors. Hope that you can make a difference with the folks that you work with. Um, I hope that we can have a strong a witness as a church family, as individuals, as a corporate unit. You know, our sign out here is, is really a great ministering tool. That has been one of the best things that we've ever done. And this building's going up. That's a witness. I want to say again, I said this this morning, I want to say it again tonight, maybe you weren't here this morning. We're going to have a lot of rooms, and we want to fill every one of those rooms with ministry. If you're a teacher, you've been a Bible teacher at some point in your life, and you've kind of hung up the, the teacher mantle, maybe you ought to reach back up and take it down for a few years. And teach some classes. We have some room now. You know, I had a great thing happen to me uh, this morning. Uh, some folks in, in Bob Long's class said, well, we're going back to one service, but we don't want our class to end. So where are we going to meet? Well, we don't have a place for them to meet. You know, we don't have any, we don't have any room. So we're going to try next week for his class to meet in that open area that Gerald was meeting in because Gerald will be uh, back in here. So think now when we move into the building, we're going to have a lot of area to teach the Word of God. And I'm praying that some of you will be thinking and praying about uh, being the ones that do that, because we need that. I want to have a class of discipleship that goes year-round, and we have some access to some folks that know a lot about that, and uh, we can get the materials that we need. Uh, we just need the folks to study the material and teach the material and uh, help some people to be closer to Jesus. Well, this has been a good day. I, 
I baptized a lady this afternoon at three here in our church. Uh, she had some physical issues and uh, wanted to be uh, baptized uh, with just a few present, and so that's what we did. Um, you know, there there's a great witness that goes out when you're baptized. You know, Pat was uh, baptized this morning, and and I'm sure there were a lot of people here who had never seen a baptism before. You know, when you're baptized, you follow in the footsteps of Jesus. It's just as clear as it can possibly be. That's what Jesus did. He said he wanted us to do that. Tonight, if there's anybody in the house that wants to trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior, if there's anybody in the house that wants to come and join the church, if there's anybody here that's already a believer and maybe you never have been immersed, you want to be baptized, I know how to do that. And I'll volunteer to do it. And uh, I, I hope uh, that you would come and say, Pastor, I realize that scriptural. The word baptizoi means to go down into and to come up out of. It's very clear. Every time it's used in the New Testament, it's that word. It's never the word for pour. It's never the word for sprinkle. It's always the word for immersion. That's the reason we do it that way. We're trying to follow the example of Jesus. Tonight, if there's a decision that you'd like to make, we're going to sing a hymn. I'm going to stand down at the front. If you feel the Lord tugging at your heart, then just let go and let God have his way. Let's stand together as we sing.